Hebrews 2 verse 1, Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, as when, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. Lord, would you help me the very best I know I'm at the place you want me to be. I always need you, but I'm more aware of it than I might normally be. And I want to be a help. This is a really important meeting. And you want to do, I believe, a really significant work in the hearts of your children, your servants who are here. You have been doing that. And Lord, I don't want to interfere with that. I want to contribute the part that you want to contribute here by your direction and your spirit. So use me and direct me and guide me and help me to only say the things that you want said. You did tell us that the devil comes and those unclean spirits who aid him and try to snatch away the seed of, the, of your perfect book from the soil of our hearts. Would you bind them and keep them from that? Keep us from any distraction that would interfere with what you want us to have. Open our hearts and minds to all you have. Bless the preaching. Bless the invitation. We'll thank you in Jesus' name for what you do. Amen. Therefore, because of what has gone before. If we look back to chapter 1, we'll find the therefore. And our text tonight will show us three things. Number one, a glorious Savior. Number two, a great salvation, unbelievable love. And then number three, a grievous slipping. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. A glorious Savior. Why is he glorious? Well, the Bible tells us in chapter 1, he's glorious because he started anything. Verse 2 goes on to say, Whom he appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. I want you to know that everything that exists in our universe was spoken into existence in six literal 24-hour days by our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Brother Shetler said he doesn't have enough faith to be an atheist. Atheists believe that something so complex and minute as DNA just kind of popped into existence. Benjamin uh, Watson and Francis Crick won the Nobel Science Prize 55, 60 years ago for discovering DNA. Francis Crick, the more he delved into the intricacies of human life, the more he said there is no way this happened by accident. And so Francis Crick came to believe that life on earth was brought here from another planet. I never met Dr. Craig. I never had the chance to speak to him. If I did, my question would be, where did the life on that planet come from? 
Hey, men don't believe in evolution because it's accurate or because it's scientific or because it's supported by the evidence. They believe in evolution because they do not want to believe that God made everything. But the Bible says in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. All things were made by Him and without Him was not anything made that was made. He's a glorious Savior. He started everything. He's a glorious Savior because He is the same as God. Verse 3 of chapter 1, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of his person upholding all things by the word of his power hey I want you to know Jesus is not like God Jesus is not just from God Jesus did not come just to tell us about God Jesus is God he said I and the father are one he said if you've seen me you've seen the father Uh, the Jews said you're not 50 years old yet how can you talk about knowing Abraham he said before Abraham was I am and they picked up stones to stone because they knew I am is a name of God and he was saying that he is God our Savior is God he's glorious Savior because he's superior to the angels being made so much better verse 4 than the angels in fact the book of Hebrews tells how much better our Savior is than the angels and the old covenant than the Mosaic law than everything that existed before than the Old Testament sacrifices he's glorious because he sustains everything verse 3 it says that he up holds all things by the word of his power. Isn't that interesting? It says it this way in the book of Colossians, he is before all things and by him all things consist. Now, we have a tendency to have issues with science, but let me encourage you not to be too hard on it because every once in a while they catch up with the Bible. Uh, man used to think the earth was flat. I mean, if it was round, you'd fall off. That's what they thought. But you know what the Bible said? It said, it is he that sitteth on the circle of the earth, way before science figured that out. They used to think the earth had to rest on, on something. Atlas was the strong man that held up the earth. Others believed the earth rested on the back of a giant turtle. But you know what the Bible says? It says he hangeth the earth upon nothing. And it says that in the book of Job, the oldest book in the Bible, way before science figured it out. Science used to figure how many stars there were. They thought, I think it was Kepler, they thought there were 777. And Brahe thought there were 1,034. But God said, hey, Abraham, look out and see if you can number the stars. Now, now, not only does science, because of the inventions of telescopes and the increase in their power, not only not know how many stars there are in our galaxy, they don't even know how many galaxies there are. In science, man used to say there were three parts to the atom. The proton, the neutron, the electron. And about 12 or 15 years ago, they discovered another particle in the atom. You can look it up. It's called the Higgs boson particle. It is that particle that holds all the rest of the atom together. And they call it, they nickname it the God particle. Hey, our Savior sustains everything. He upholds all things by the word of his power. I'm here to tell you that if our glorious Savior stopped exercising his divine power for one moment, the stars would burn out in their sockets the sun would stop shining the earth would stop rotating on its axis and the universe would implode into nothingness he's a glorious savior he sustains everything he's a glorious savior because he stays verse 11 they the heavens the earth verse 10 they shall perish 
but thou remainest. <laughs> hey, did you know that there was a time when there was no time? Did you know there will be a time when time shall be no more? But did you know that there never was a time when there was no God? And there never be a time when there is no God. Our Savior is from everlasting to everlasting. By the way, he gave us a book like that too. The, the Bible tells me this book forever is settled in heaven. That is a word that goes infinitely in both directions. Our glorious Savior always has been, always will be, never changes. What a glorious Savior we have. We sang well my Jesus I love thee oh how I love Jesus oh hail the power of Jesus name let angels prostrate fall bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Jesus oh how sweet the name Jesus every day the same Jesus let us all proclaim the precious name of Jesus a glorious savior he is unchangeable he is unalterable he is undefeatable the Pharisees couldn't stand him but they couldn't avoid him society tries to kick him out of the public schools but they have to deal with him when they write the date the anno domino the year of our lord hospitals were founded in his name universities were established to propagate his gospel the whole world celebrates his birthday i'm glad i have a glorious savior and then it tells us in our text we have a great salvation how should we escape if we how should we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Think for a moment about the extent of this great salvation. God says it's so great. How great? Well, like the Lord says, uh, there's not a word in your vocabulary that could explain it. God uses the word so to describe the infinite God. So loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's unbelievable love. The song correctly said, could we with ink the ocean fill? And with the skies of parchment may every stalk unearth a quill and every man ascribed by trade to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry nor could the scroll contain the whole no stretch from sky to sky O oh, love of God how pure how measureless and strong it shall forevermore endure the saints and angels song amazing wonderful indescribable marvelous great salvation great in its extent Graded in its expense. Yeah. I was a little boy and I understood that uh, Good Friday was the day Protestant religion, I guess Catholic too, celebrated the uh, resurrection of, or the, the crucifixion of our Lord. Now I don't believe that. I personally believe he was crucified on Thursday. That's when I make it when I read the book of Mark. Doesn't matter to me what you think. Shouldn't matter to you what I think. That's just what I think. But I said to my dad, well, Daddy, if that's the day they crucified Jesus, why do we call it Good Friday? I'll never get my dad said, son, it wasn't good for him, but it was good for us. Amen. It was very expensive for him. It's free to us. Jesus paid it all. Amen. Oh, we know they took that had a nine tails and dragged those nine strands of a whip intertwined with bits of 
glass and bone and metal and raked it across his back. Isaiah said the plowers plowed long furrows in my back. We know they plucked out his beard and they buffeted his faith. The Bible says uh, his visage was marred more than any man. He didn't even look like a human being. We know they pressed that crown of thorns on his head. We know they compelled him to carry the cross and he stumbled under the weight and Simon of Cyrene, whom I envy, Simon of Cyrene, whose place I would gladly have taken, came and took his cross. But I would remind you, the Lord Jesus didn't ask us to carry that cross. He asked us to carry our cross. They nailed those nails into his hands and feet. They picked him up. They dropped the cross into a hole that had been prepared for it. And with a bone-jarring, socket-wrenching thud, that cross went into the hole. And he hung there, not as the artist depicts him appropriately with a loincloth on. No, the Romans left no shred of decency or dignity to the victims of crucifixion. And there he hung, bearing shame and scoffing rude. In my place, condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What a Savior. But that wasn't the worst part. I heard something made me think this had been alluded to before. He said nothing when the fists of those evil men buffeted his face. He said nothing when they pulled the beard out by its roots. He said nothing when they jammed those inch and a half thorns into his head, <coughs> pressing against his skull. He uttered not a word when they put the nails into his hands and feet. But there came that time where for the first time in all <coughs> of eternity, because all of the sins of mankind were placed on the back of our Savior and he got God made him, Jesus, to become sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And in that moment, Jesus Christ became a liar and a thief and a murderer and every vile thing that you could imagine that man has ever imagined to do. And for the first time in all of eternity, God the Father turned his back on God the Son. Darkness covered the earth for three hours and our Savior cried, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Great in its expense. Great in its effect. I didn't know I was going to preach this sermon, so this next illustration will have already been given away to some of you. He was 21 years old and never heard the gospel in his life. Met some guys on a bus that encouraged him to consider a different college to become a radio announcer. They got information sent to him on a whim. He went down to South Carolina in January of 1949, 21 years of age, had been out of the service for a little while after World War II, and for the first time ever, he heard a preacher preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. His exact words to me as he sat there, he thought, that sounds like a good deal to me. Going forward that night, when Roe Parker met him at the front, but he tell you to the day he died, November 4th, 2018, that he was saved sitting in his seat. That's when he decided to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He went on to continue at college there. Now, that college, unfortunately, was not a Baptist college. I love the college and what you do and the heart you have, and I like the name. Baptist. I'm a Baptist. It's a Bible word. Lutheran's took their name from Martin Luther. It's not in the Bible. Wesleyan's got it from John Wesley. That's not in the Bible. 
The Bible says, until John, that's what Jesus said, were the law and the prophets, now the kingdom of God is preached unto you, and every man presseth into it. Our Lord made a distinction between the Old and the New Covenant in the person and the work of John the Baptist. If that doesn't persuade you, let me ask you this. If I went to the Methodist church and they sprinkled me, I would become a Methodist, right? If I went to the Lutheran church, they baptized me, I'd become a... I told you these questions are not hard, all right? I'm not complicated. <laughs> Let's baptize in the Catholic Church. That would make me a. Will you tell me, was Jesus baptized by John the Catholic or John the Baptist? <laughs> I'm a Baptist. But this college wasn't a Baptist college. They were unfortunately interdenominational. The young man, they didn't have any Catholic Sunday school classes. His dad was Catholic. But they had Methodist classes. His mom was Methodist. And so he went to the Methodist class. And after a while, he said, you know what? When I look at the Bible, I don't think the Methodists are right. I don't either. He said, I look at the Bible, I think the Baptists are right. He became a Baptist, not because of the college, but because he read the Bible. You read the Bible, you'll be a Baptist too, at least if you do what it says. Got married, got out of school, went into the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, led thousands of people to Christ. He, he was a pastor, a rescue mission superintendent, an itinerant evangelist. And I am really glad that the gospel was preached that night because the man was my dad. And everybody, he's led to Christ. And everybody, I've got to win to Christ. And everybody, that everybody we help, God's help, goes back because somebody was a good testimony on a bus and an old preacher preached the gospel is great in its effect I got a text today see if I can pull it up good afternoon pastor just wanted to thank you again for coming to my home nine years ago today to share the gospel with me best decision I ever made love you preacher from a man in our church named Jeff Lee. When I went to Jeff Lee's house, there were more memorabilia about booze around his house than any house I've ever been in in my life. All of the decor was little shot glasses and little bottles of whiskey and all kind of stuff. He'd had a problem with that. And I don't know how extensive his problem was, but I do know this. He got saved that Thursday. He came, made a profession of faith. That next Sunday, today he ministers in the jail and serves as one of our greeters and prays to open our services and has been faithful to God all those years. You know why? Because the gospel has a great effect on people. Hey, a lot of what the contemporary church does, they do because they have a low view of the gospel. But we have to have rock and roll music. It's not like there's a God who would change their heart and their appetite. We're we going to have to dumb down the message so that nobody will be offended by it. Hey, I'm not worried about the contemporary church. Oh, they, they look like they're having their day now. We are going to be winning people to Christ from those churches in the years ahead like we've been winning to, them, to people to Christ from the mainline denominations for decades. Because they have such a watered-down version of the gospel that you read, just look it up, look up Rick Warren's standard salvation prayer, and there's not enough gospel in there to save anybody. It goes something like this, Jesus, I don't understand it all, but as much as I do want to be part of my life, help me to understand it more. No sin, no redemption, no salvation, no repentance. 
But I got news for you. You don't need a smoking light show. You don't need to have barroom music. You don't need to dress down. You just need to tell people God loves them. Jesus died for them. And he'll save them from their sin if they'll trust in him. It's a great salvation. Unbelievably great. And I wish the sermon stopped there. I would stop there. My dad used to say a good sermon ought to end on a high note. But God didn't ask me about it. He just wrote it. That's all right. I know people putting stuff in the Bible they never asked God about. It says this, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Notice about this grievous slipping that it is a passive slipping. The word slip is a nautical term. I'm not sure, but I think that's probably connected to when you you rent a place to keep your boat on a dock somewhere, they call it a boat slip. But the idea is that the boat isn't moored tightly and the tide, the current, takes it and it slips away. It's passive. Do you remember the day you decided that you wouldn't read your Bible every day anymore? Remember that day? You said, okay, I'm going to stop reading the Bible. You don't remember that? Nobody ever makes that decision. It's not purposeful, it's passive. They just skip one day and I'll make it up tomorrow, and they do. And a week or two later, they skip another day and they don't make that up. Pretty soon, they're reading four or five days a week. They say, well, that's pretty good, and three days and two days. and um. You remember the time you said, I am no longer going soul winning. Pastor, I just want you to know I'm done soul winning. You didn't say that. You just missed a week. And came four or five and missed another one, and came two or three and missed another one. He didn't do it on purpose. It was passive. Not many churches took a vote to go away from hymns and gospel music into junk. We are now going to use rock and roll music. As a matter of fact, every church I know of thinks their music's okay. Now, they didn't think it was okay 10 years ago. They preached against it 10 years ago. Pastor and I are talking about a mutual friend of ours. I love him. I pray for him every day. And to me, it is unbelievable the things that he is involved in now and doing. And he still would tell you he's in the work of the Lord and loves the Lord. But things, some of them we have to have to say are awful. How did that happen? It was passive. We just neglected it. I'm told Brother Jack Treber out in California had a widow lady in his church having trouble with her car, and she came to him for counsel. He looked at her finances, and he said, Ma'am, the money you're spending on repairs, I believe we could buy you a brand new car. It'd have a warranty. You wouldn't have anything to worry about. Oh, she was so happy. He got her down to the dealership, hooked her up with a good man. They got her a nice, modest little car, brand new. She was so excited. A few years later, she came and said, Pastor, there's something wrong with my car. It's making really funny noises. It smells funny. Kind of smoke coming out of it. He said, well, you shouldn't have that problem. The car's not that old. He, he went and looked at the car. He said, well, when did you last change the oil? And she said, oil? 
You mean gas? I, I put gas in it. She never changed the oil. Didn't know you're supposed to change the oil. Now, she did not take that car to a demolition derby. She wasn't drag racing down Silicon Valley somewhere with it. She just neglected it. You've all driven by once beautiful homes that are now about to crumble, not because of the wrecking ball coming to demolish them, but because they were neglected. It's a passive slipping. It's a perilous slipping. How shall we escape? If we neglect so great salvation, by the word spoken by angels was steadfast, every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, and we won't be any better than them. He was an evangelist. He moved our area to be part of our church. We paid his health insurance, paid his uh, kids' tuition, our Christian school. He was not great in his content, but he was impressively effective in drawing people to truth. He gave an invitation and half the crowd had come forward. He's really effective with young people. Really, God used him. He loved police work. In fact, he got me into being a police chaplain. I was a sheriff's chaplain for about 20 years. And uh, he got to liking the police work more and more. He went ahead and got his certification. He was teaching shooting to the police candidates. He was a great child. I never saw anybody as good a shot as him. He'd throw a skeet in the air and hit it with a handgun. I was out with him one day. He said, see that bee? And I watched this bee buzzing around. Boom. Very good. And I noticed he was slipping some. And I talked to him about it on a couple of occasions, and he just kind of, oh, no, it's all right. No, that's not a problem. No, it's fine. Got a full-time job in a little department outside of Pontiac. They gave him a female partner. You can fill in the blanks. He married her, left his wife, married her. We had to write him a letter letting him know that we loved him and hoped he would get right with God, but in his current condition, he could not remain as a member of our church. We kept paying his kids' tuition and his insurance, I said to our church, we are not going to ask his wife and children to pay any more than they already have because of their father's and husband's misbehavior. And then one day, he went to jail for nine years because of his inappropriate behavior with his stepdaughter. I visited him in jail. I talked to him before that. He was separated from his wife. And I said, look, there's a way back. And he blamed his wife and blamed others. Now, that man never said, you know, I'd like to stop being a preacher and start being a pervert. I'd like to go from being a cop to being a convict. He never said that. He just neglected some things. He let them slip. It was perilous. His son, oldest child, Went to Bible college, married a beautiful girl with a gorgeous voice. They were in our church for a while, and he got a job for General Motors. He was doing okay. And then he moved to St. Louis and took a job at GM in that area, and I heard he wasn't doing well. I was preaching in St. Louis area and found out where he was. I went to see him. He was drinking and gambling and all kind of stuff. I said, hey, you don't have to do this. There's a way back. God loves you. And he wept and shook his head. No, that's all they do. He didn't say a word. 
It's perilous slipping. It's a passive slipping, but wait a minute. It does not have to be a permanent slipping. See, one of the lies of the devil is you're so messed up, God doesn't want you anymore. You've gone so far that God's love cannot go as far as you can go. But I got news for you. God's love is greater than our sin. God's grace is greater than our evil. God's ability to forgive is greater than our ability to mess up our lives. God always wants you back. I'm working on a sermon from Jeremiah 7. I think I'm going to call it Don't Go There. God tells Jeremiah, would you tell these people they're about to go in 70 years of captivity, but they don't have to if they'll amend their ways and their doings, if they'll do judgment and righteousness to the oppressed, if they'll turn back to me and thoroughly amend their doings. They don't have to go. You don't have to go. God loves you if we confess our sin. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Oh, you may have limited your ability to serve in some particular positions, but you have not limited your ability to walk with God, to be filled with the Spirit, to be used by God, to have a personal relationship with God. He loves you anyway. That lady came to our church a while ago. I went to visit she and her husband and he said, we need to tell you our story. She said this. She said, I was raised by Satan worshipers. They masqueraded as a Baptist preacher and his wife for the purpose of destroying churches. Every church my father ever pastored had a split. She said, when I was eight years old, I could have run a bordello. She wound up developing multiple personalities, all kind of stuff. And then she said to me, what do you think of psychologists? Well, I was not under oath. I did not have to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And the Bible says, a fool uttereth all his mind, a wise man keepeth it until afterward. So I told her this. I said, ma'am, to the extent that they agree with the Bible, they can help you. To the extent they disagree with the Bible, they can't help you. She said, would you listen to these tapes, cassette tapes, from my psychologist, and there was a man that uh, was named Dr. Bell. He had a group of people together, and I found out later he had studied theology before he studied psychology. And here's what he said. He gave him three things to start out these messed up people. He said, number one, you're worse than you think you are. Well, that was new from a psychologist. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> the heart is deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You don't know how bad you are. I don't know how wicked I am. I know I'm really bad, but I'm worse than I think I am. So are you. Number two, he said, God loves you anyway just because. Hey, that's true too. And then he said, you can't fix it, but God can. So let's get started. But don't ever believe the lie of the devil that they're washed up, you're used up. He doesn't want you anymore. I was back in St. Louis some years later. I was preaching at the Second Baptist Church of Festus. I was the first preacher in a morning service, and the second preacher preached, and I was at the altar praying during the invitation. I heard what sounded like an old man praying next to me. He said, oh, God, we need your help. Oh, God, we need your power. Oh, God, we need your strength. And I looked over. It wasn't an old man at all. It was that young man, the son of the evangelist, who had come to that church gotten right with God was serving there as a deacon hey it is perilous it is passive it does not have to be permanent Amen. Ulysses Garcia came to our church years ago black 
leather vest, ponytail. Got saved, doing good. Used to sit up in the balcony of our previous building. And then one day he stopped coming. The time I found out about it, he had already gone to another church, and I found out that he left our church because he wanted to be more involved, and he was quite sure that at our church you had to have a college degree to teach Sunday school. Now, we do not even have a literacy requirement. Amen. You don't either. I'll guarantee you, whatever your workers' standards and agreements are, they'll say you must be able to read and write. I bet it doesn't say that. So he went to this other church. He worked hard. And the best I can tell, he made the pastor jealous. One night, the preacher went over to his house with another man from the church, began to tell him all the things he's doing wrong. And Ulysses said, I'm sorry, preacher. Just tell me what to do. I'll do whatever you say. I believe I could work with somebody like that. Never had the chance, but I believe I could. <laughs> And the preacher said, no, you'll never darken the doors of this church again. Ulysses got out of church. I heard about it. I started calling him, going to see him. I worked him for a year and a half. And he finally came back. <clears throat> he got in our church. He was in my couple's class. He taught a bus Sunday school class. He was bringing people in all the time, bringing visitors, seeing people saved. He ran a little place downtown called the Discount Service Center. You know one of those places with a wrinkly fence and a hand-painted sign, and he would fix lawnmowers and motors. He'd go around and trash day, pick up stuff, fix it, and sell it. He gave me this ring. I won't tell you the story about it, but he gave me that ring. And... Uh, he always wanted to have a church downtown Saginaw. One day he's at his place of business and a guy comes by and says, hey, you know our church building is just a couple of blocks away. We're going to go contemporary. We're going to start by meeting in a home. We're selling the building. It's near your property. You might want to buy it. It'll be $2,000 down and $200 a month. Ulysses Garcia reached into his pocket and pulled out $2,000. And he bought the building. He came to see me preach. You know, I've always wanted to have a church downtown. I got this building. But I said, God bless you. Go ahead, but Ulysses. He'd already picked out the name for it. He's kind of nervous somebody might have taken his name. So he ran down to the county to register the name. Was very relieved to find out that no one had yet selected the name the Christ First Fellowship Baptist Church. <laughs> he cleaned up that beat up old building. Put plastic flowers around Made it nice as he could. I preached for him a couple of times. They kept a book, and every day they either had church or went soul winning. And they wrote down every service how many people came, how many people went out soul winning, how many people got saved, how much the offering was, where they spent the money. He told a lot of people about Jesus. Amen. Oh, I probably should tell you that when he got the key and walked into that building, it was the exact same building about which they had said, you will never darken the doors of this church again. <laughs> and, uh, they couldn't kick him out then. He owned it. <laughs> it's a passive slipping. It's not purposeful. It's a perilous slipping. It does not have to be permanent. Father, would you guide me as I extend the invitation? Thank you for the unbelievable love you showed us by sending your son to be our savior and then promising to make us your children, give us forever in heaven, but guidance and provision and companionship on earth. 
Lord, I think some of us have been well reminded of your love. Hard to imagine how great your love is. Unbelievable. And yet I wonder if we might ought to give the more diligent thing heed to the things we've heard because maybe we already began to let them slip. 